message today is um, right on time for that kind of setting. Because I want to share with you from Ephesians chapter 4, just picking up where we left off last week, continuing through this letter week by week, a message that I would call the backbone of a healthy church. The backbone of a healthy church. Some of you have been hurt before in church life. And there's no hurt like church hurt. One of the reasons that uh, we can get hurt in church is when things get out of line in a church fellowship. Where things are not aligned appropriately. And in our physical bodies, I'm, I'm learning that uh, alignment of our spine and alignment of our, our of just our posture is is critical for life. I don't know if Tony Simpson's in the room this morning, uh, a chiropractor in our church and community. I thought I'd get a loud shout from him when he heard me use the word alignment. But um, uh, you you may not even know that things are out of a line, but you have headaches, stomach aches, all kinds of things can happen just when your body's not properly aligned. In Ephesians chapter 4, the metaphor there for the church is the body, a physical body. And Jesus Christ is identified as the head of the body or the head of the church. And as members, we're members of the body. And, and we're to grow up into Christ. We're to be Christ-like. We're to follow his lead. We're to, he's our authority. And he's, he's the head over the church. And so... What I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 4 is what it looks like for the body of Christ to be spiritually aligned around in the, in the right way. And when those things get out of line, hard things happen. Uh, negative things happen. But if we can get the body aligned right, we'll see a healthy church. And friends, when you experience the life of a healthy church, you, you, you won't be satisfied with anything else. And, and we're going after that here in this text. And even at the end, when we pray for Andrew and Annie, we'll be praying that God would give them that kind of experience as they lead this new church. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped when each part go to verse 16 again let me start over right there from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love so those of you that are know your anatomy you know biology you know that in your spine there are five sections to the physical spine this morning I want to talk to you about four sections of the backbone of the church I want you to see how they're to be aligned together number one unity the first thing in our body that needs to be aligned spiritually is this idea of unity it's brought up in verse 3 where he says, verse 2 says, with patience and gentleness, with, with all humility, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And then he describes, the Apostle Paul describes what it is we're united in. And there's a oneness. And there's, there's these ones, if you will, that uh, he describes there are these unities that are all one, and he, and he shows that, that this is what we unite around. This is how we uh, identify as, as, a, as a body that is rightly aligned, get your unity right. And he, he wants them to see, writing into their context, that there's not multiples of these items, but they're singular. And he lists out seven of these. And for our church, for for our fellowship here, as we read this, let, it, let the Spirit of God apply it to us. He says, there is one body. There's, there's to be unity. There's, there's one body. There's one Spirit. You were called to one hope. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Their, their culture and context would have heard these and been thinking, wait, that's, that uh, is saying a lot because kind of feels like to us there's multiple bodies. We, we heard there's a church at Galatia. We, we heard there's a church at Philippi. You mean we're united in some way? And he says, yes, there's, there's one body, there's one head, and the head is Christ. He, he says there's one spirit. There's not multiple spirits operating in different churches. There's one Holy Spirit. And the work that does the work in a heart here in Watkinsville, Georgia, is the same spirit that does a work in New York City in a soul, in a life, this meeting, this hearing, this listening. There's one spirit that shows the magnitude and the power and the attributes of the spirit. There's one spirit. There, there is, and let me just say by application, that's why... I can't come to you and say, well, the Spirit told me this, and you say, the Spirit told me this, and those two be completely opposed to one another, and us say, well, we're both right, because there's one Spirit. There's going to be unity even in how the Spirit leads and works and operates. 
He, he says there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. What is a hope? What, what you're clinging to in life, what you're clinging to for eternity. There's not a lot of different things to anchor your life to. He said there's one hope, and it's the blessed hope. It's the hope of Jesus Christ who came and died for us when we were dead in our sins. And he's our hope because he made us alive. He, 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 was, he died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He's coming again. That's our hope. It's what we're looking forward to. And he says, there's one Lord. Well, that would have stood out to them. They were living in a day where politically there was a call to acknowledge the political leaders of their day as basically their Lord. And, th and they would have seen and known that there was this call to see Caesar as Lord, the ultimate authority. Everything bowed down before Caesar. And, and he's pointing out here that for the Christian, we're citizens of a different kingdom. And yes, like Jesus said, render under Caesar's was Caesar's, but he would say to us, ultimately for us, our authority there's one Lord. There's one Lord and one faith. There's not multiple ways to be right with God. There's not multiple ways to have eternity settled where there's heaven. There's one faith. And probably some of you operate in a world where you'll hear somebody say, well, let me just tell you, it's all, we're, all, we're all headed in the same place anyway. As long as you're sincere about what you believe and I'm sincere about what I believe, it's all going to work out in the end. The Apostle Paul would say, wait, there's one faith. There's one faith. And he says there's one baptism. I believe when he spoke this, I, I think it's a reference to water baptism. I think it goes back to even what some of Paul's writings were in 1 Corinthians where there was conflict over people who would say, oh, uh, we, were, we were baptized by Apollos. Oh, oh, we, were, we were baptized by Paul. We, we were baptized and, and, and just named these people that had baptized them. So that's who we follow. That's the camp we're in. Uh, that's, that's the people that we're a part of. And, and the Apostle Paul is saying, look, there's one baptism. There's, there's, there's one time in your life where you can identify publicly that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. When you become a believer and then you're baptized, there's one baptism and it's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus said, go you therefore you know, all the world and make disciples, teach them everything I've commanded and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We say it so many times here, it, it may seem trite, it may be missed, but this morning when Scott and Fair were baptized. They weren't baptized in my name. They, you weren't, I don't know who baptized you. You're not baptized in their name. In the book of Acts, when the uh, missionaries came in, in Acts and they, they found this group of people and, and they said, have you been baptized? They said, we know John's baptism, but they, they were not aware of a baptism that would be in the name of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says, there's one baptism. Maybe today, some of you, uh, you, you may have been lowered into the water when you were 10 years old and you were added to a church role, but you know, looking back at that, you were not a follower of Christ. You didn't understand what you were saying. It didn't make sense to you. You, you, you haven't lived for him. There was no life change understanding there. It's my story, junior in college, 
raised in church, Lord in the water when I was 10, junior year in college, life-changing experience with Jesus. My heart changed, my desires changed, what I believe changed, my hope changed. About 18 months after that, I was just processing through my faith journey and realized, you know what, my life changed. I really came to know Jesus. My personal relationship with Jesus Christ became, began in the winter of my junior year. I went to my pastor and said, I, don't, I was working as an intern at a church there, and I said, I don't know if this embarrasses you, upsets you. Maybe you think this should have been covered earlier, but I'm telling you, I haven't been baptized since I became a believer, and I want to get that in order. And, and, uh, and I want to encourage you to just look at your faith journey. And see, have you been baptized? Have you proclaimed publicly that your faith is in Jesus Christ? And have you identified publicly through this act that the scripture gives us through baptism? There's one baptism. There's a one God and father of all. And certainly in their day, they would have thought, uh, there's lots of gods and, uh, and I worship this one for this, and I worship this one for this. And if I need the harvest to be good, I worship him. If I need health, I worship this God. And, and the apostle Paul says, look, for us, we unify around the fact there is one God. In Memphis, where I was in seminary, a church that was very strongly connected to seminary there was Bellevue Baptist Church. It's now in Cordova. R.G. Lee, longtime pastor there. Adrian Rogers, longtime pastor there. Now Steve Gaines is pastor there. The new church facility they built in Cordova has on the front of it these massive columns, seven of them. And when you, you look at those columns on the front, it's just this beautiful, massive, huge uh, front with those columns. You come out of the building and you see on the back of each one of those columns two words. The first one says, one body. Uh, the, the next one, it just goes right down the list. One faith, one hope, all the way down the list. And each one of those seven columns. And it's picturesque of the truth that the church stands on these pillars. The building right in front of me, we call around the chapel building there. It's the uh, original structures that were on this property. And over the years, some of you know this, we've added walls. We've removed walls, we've added walls, we've scooted walls, we've torn down walls, we've added walls. And, and just over and over again, and recently we were looking at a couple of the rooms and we're trying to figure out, and the question was, are those load-bearing walls? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Around your house, you've wondered that. And at our house, anytime that question comes up, it's always, yes. Carla says, you think that wall is a low bit? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we could get Neil over here and get him to check and see it. It's load-bearing, honey. It's load-bearing. When you look at these pillars, when you, when you look at these ones, there are a lot of things that you can take out of a church fellowship and do things differently and maybe even have a, a little different way of looking at some things that you read through in scripture but I want to tell you these seven things are load-bearing walls for our faith if you start moving these walls if you start taking out these walls of of one God and one faith and one hope and one baptism 
the whole church is going to eventually collapse on itself. This is what we're built on. This is the unity that we gather around. Secondly, we align around diversity. Now, unity does not mean sameness. Even though that we're united around these seven truths, we, there is diversity in our body. And the diversity that happens in our body is through the giving of spiritual gifts. Look in verse 6. When God, Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he, had a host, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's a quote from Psalm 68. It's Paul using the, New, the Old Testament in the New Testament to show that Jesus is a fulfillment of this Old Testament scripture. And, and that Psalm 68 was a victory song. It was a psalm that was sung at a time when there had been battle, there had been war, and when there had been victory. This song was the song that was used. And the Apostle Paul uses it to show that Jesus descending from heaven to the earth and then going from the earth and ascending back to heaven is a picture of victory where he came and he conquered and he defeated death and the grave and he's ascended to heaven. And when he ascended to heaven, he gave in his sovereignty grace gifts. Gifts of grace. Now, there is saving grace and there's ministering grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. But here when he says to each one of us according to the measure of Christ, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us, he's talking about serving grace. He's talking about gifts that he gave to us to do the work of ministry. And they're different. I don't have all the same spiritual gifts that you have, and you don't have all the same spiritual gifts that I have. There's diversity in the body. Some of you have the gift of service. Some of you have the gift of leadership. Some of you have a gift of mercy. So, and and, and it's, there's examples of spiritual gifts in God's word. Let, let Scripture interpret Scripture. So I'm struggling with this a little bit. What do you mean? Romans 12, verse 3, same writer a different church Romans 12 verse 3 for by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think sounds a lot like last week the apostle Paul says in the church so there will be unity we must operate with all humility why would he address that here in the presence of gifts because the temptation was is that when God blessed Using spiritual gifts in the life of people, people begin to get puffed up and they think, I'm like really important. In fact, the church couldn't do without me. Make way, make room for me because of my gifts. And he's, he, Paul's addressing this. He says, I say to everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body... We have many members, that's talking about physically, we have hands and feet and ears and nose. He says, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. My ears don't do the same thing that my nose does. My hands don't do the same thing that my feet does. In verse 5, so we, though many, 
are one body in Christ. He switches to the spiritual application. We are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You're a hand. You're a feet. Your feet. You may be ears. You may be to- different spiritual gifts, all a part of one body. We operate together in diversity. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And so how we align is we align in unity, we align in diversity, and it's all the individual gifts. I look across this room and just think of the multitude of different spiritual gifts in this room. But even though we're diverse in those gifts, the unity comes is when we blend those together in harmony. And it brings glory to God. It brings health to a church. Two weeks ago, Carl and I sat at the North Oconee football game. And halftime, the band came on the field. And you look at the band and, and you see them coming across the field. And there's trombones, clarinets, and flutes, tuba. All kinds of drums, snare drums and bass drums. You've got keyboards, clashing cymbals. And and they're all out there just marching. And then they start playing. And you put all those instruments together, what do you get? Beautiful music. A song. You get something you can understand. You get something you can enjoy. Different but working together. Now, all of us have had the experience before where we've seen that kind of scene and one guy on the trumpet kind of goes off on his own. And you're like, actually, you might be thinking, I don't know where that's coming from, but something's off. And we know somebody's all of a sudden just started marching to the beat of their own drum, not working together. And listen, that can happen in a church. It can happen in a church and make a church unhealthy. When we, we, we decide that we're more important or we've got our own thing to do, or I'm just going to do what I'm going to do instead of seeing how all those gifts work together as a body to make beautiful music. The third, the, the, the third section here for, to be aligned is responsibility. Unity, diversity, responsibility. In verse 11 down through verse 13, it describes what the responsibility is for the different members. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. There's some responsibility. You receive gifts for you to do the work of ministry. But to the church has been given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. Pastor teachers are often lumped together in this because there's no definite article between them. It doesn't say these shepherds and the teachers. It's understood interpretation here is kind of a, those are synonymous, shepherds and teachers. They have the same role, shepherd the flock, teach the flock. Shepherd the flock, feed the flock, lead the flock. Apostles were those who took the gospel to to new territories, like missionaries. Prophets are those that would have a revelation from God and they would speak and declare truth. Evangelists are those that God supernaturally equipped to share the gospel and in a unique, unexplainable way outside of the hand of God, people would trust Christ as Lord and Savior. Have you ever seen a 
gifted evangelist work. It, it really is supernatural. Howard Hardy was an accountant in Auburn, Alabama. He trained people, evangelism explosion, and we'd go door to door and share the gospel. And I remember going with Howard Hardy one night and this, this kind of a quiet, soft-spoken accountant, and he'd start talking to people. And by the time he said, would you like to pray and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? And the person would just go, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. We would always wait at report hour. We'd always wait for Howard Hardy to come back in because everybody wanted to hear Howard report. And, I mean, it, was, it seemed like without fail, Howard would come in and say, I just visited two college students. And, and uh, both of them prayed to receive Christ today. I just visited a young couple that visited our church on Sunday, and husband and wife prayed. It was just phenomenal. There are also those who their their life, their livelihood, it's a gift to the church or evangelists. Junior Hills, a great example of that. I don't know. Some of you may have heard of him, met him along the way. He's the most most uh, uh, the person I've been around the most that God has used in this gift of evangelism. My dad's salvation big part of who Junior, Junior Hill's message. My brother's salvation a lot to do with uh, Junior Hill. As an intern I remember going to hear Junior Hill preach one night and I sat in the crowd and I listened to all the details and it was the most simple, clear straightforward message and I was just thinking listening to him, I, could do, I can do that I can do that and, and then somebody's at the door back there, y'all let them in Y'all hear that knock? I don't know who got locked out, but they're trying to get in. And, but this uh, evangelist, he, he just he finished his message. And that night, 17 people just got up in that little church and came and trusted Christ. It's a beautiful thing that God does. I could have read the same message, given the same inflection, and people would have just sat there and said, next. And, and it would have, the difference is just the supernatural gifting of God. Shepherds and teachers. God gives to the local church shepherds and teachers to do what shepherds do and to do what teachers do. And, and, and here's the responsibility to equip the saints, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. I don't know if this is ever registered with you. I heard it the first time sitting in a pew at Lakeview Baptist Church with Al Jackson preaching. And he said, Today I want to show you what the role of a pastor is. And he read Ephesians 4, 11. I remember when he read it, that verse, me thinking, did they just put that in there? I've never seen that before. What does a pastor do? What does a shepherd do? The number one thing that a pastor, teacher, shepherd, teacher is to do is to, quit, is to equip the saints. Who are the saints? You. To equip the body, to equip the saints to do what? The work of the ministry. To equip means to set the bone. It means that I'm to help you as a shepherd, as a, as a pastor, as a teacher, to set you in a position where you can do the work of ministry. And listen, when this works together, it, it blows your mind. When, when, you have a, when you have this dynamic where a church is letting a pastor equip the saints and the saints are allowing themselves to be equipped and there's this work of equipping going on and the work of ministry done by the saints. It is a beautiful scene. Let me describe it. Friday was an incredibly hard day for some people in our church. Ricky and Alex Helvey lost their baby at 34 weeks. It's a graveside service for Abigail. 
We met at the at the funeral home. And six cars of us left the funeral home and drove to a cemetery in Farmington. It took us about 25 minutes. And it's just, you know, it, it Friday, rainy, drizzly, and that 25 miles per hour for 25 minutes. It was just a long, quiet, hard drive. And we got to Farmington, turned off of 441, came around the corner to a cemetery right across from Freeman Creek Baptist Church. And when you got to where you could see the cemetery, I looked up, and all along the drive in that cemetery was couple after couple after couple after couple after couple. Their church family lined up in that cemetery as they drove in and drove past them to the graveside for their baby girl. I just started to cry. I said, Lord, I love my church. And what happened in that moment of those couples coming around, that hurting couple, and what will happen over the next few weeks as those couples come around those, that couple is the work of ministry. And don't you want to be a part of a church like that? responsibility there equip the saints to do the work of ministry how do I do the work of ministry you use the gifts that God has given you and as you serve you'll discover it in my office I wrote a note down I dated it um, 10 18 10 21 18 and God all of a sudden just jailed this idea in my mind. I jumped up, grabbed this piece of paper, and it's just laid there ever since. And it says, equip and encourage people in a way that leads to enthusiastic engagement. And every Sunday before I come from my office to this room, I read that statement. And I said, Lord, I want to get one thing right today. And here it is. I want to equip and encourage so that the body would be enthusiastically engaged. God has designed what can be a healthy church. Unity, diversity, responsibility, and then last, maturity. He says here in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Here's what he says. He says, you got to grow up. You come to know Jesus as a, with childlike faith, but you don't stay there. You grow. I texted a guy yesterday. I said, are you all in Jacksonville? He said, absolutely, yeah, we're here. And he said something about the game and, and how the game was going. And in, a, in my, my statement, I want to read this statement to you. He said back to me, how about them dogs? 21 points in two minutes. I said, 
do. That's full-grown men out there. The Apostle Paul says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to being full-grown men. He wants us to grow. And the reason is, is he doesn't want us to get distracted by all these things that come up. Have you noticed how many fads there are in Christianity? I mean, you just, I'm just waiting. What's the next kit? What's the next word? It's my interpretation that about every decade there's a word that everybody writes their books about. You know, one, one ten years it's victory. One ten years it's demon. One ten years it's anointing. One ten years it's prosperity. I mean, it's just, we all, and, and everybody flocks to this guy, flocks to this woman, and flocks to this church. And it's like, it's like just, oh, oh, there it is. It's like kids at a candy parade. And people just come along throwing out this candy, and people just run. Oh, there it is, there it is, there's the latest treat. And the Apostle Paul says, be adults spiritually. Don't be led away by every wind and every wave that comes along. He uses three words. He says you need stability. He says don't let the wind and the waves deceive you. And then he used the word truth. He says speaking the truth in love. That, that word speaking the truth is an attempt to interpret the Greek word there that literally means truthing. He says, I, I want you to be truthing. I want you to take the truth of God's word and speak it, tell it, live it, show it. But not just truth, also love. Speak the truth in love. What happens if we just, we, we're, we're all in, it's, it's all truth. It's just, I know the truth. I'm standing to tell you the truth. I'm speaking the truth. I'm preaching the truth. It's truth, truth, truth. You know what? You, you do that without love and you get hardness and hurt and harshness. But if you go the other extreme and say, Pastor, you, you stop saying, you, I know what it says in Scripture. We just got to love people, though. You just got to love people. Love people. That's what matters today. Love people. Jesus would love people. But if you just love without truth, everything becomes flimsy, floppy, fluffy. There's nothing to stand on. But in God's design, if you marry truth and love, you get the fullness of Christ. And that's what we're trying to grow up into. I did spot Tony this morning. I found you while I was preaching. And I think this is a quote from Tony that he would say, a proper aligned body will heal itself. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. A proper aligned body will heal itself. Think about that. In our church, if we could get the goal of maturity and responsibility and diversity and unity all lined up, here's what God says. He says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in How does a whole church get aligned right? When each part is working properly. And so just close this morning and say, is there some 
place in your life, unity, diversity, responsibility, maturity, that you need an adjustment, that you need to be, you need to move a little bit. You, you, you need to line up a little more in what God lays out in his word and let us be quick to respond to the spirit. Father, we bow before you and I ask you for your help to let us be a church, God, that that really grows into being what you had in mind when you designed the church. Lord, don't let us be picked off by the world's design. Let us be, let us anchor to what your word says and hold to the truth and in love. And, and Lord, differences among us come together to bring great glory to you. Would you grant it so, Lord, for your namesake, for your for your kingdom's advance in Jesus' name.